Psalm chapter 73, David is writing in verse 12, he says, look at them, the wicked, they're always at ease and they increase their wealth. Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I am afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. And there I understood their destiny. David, the the man after God's own heart, David, the hero of the Bible, David, this one who had this powerful, close, intimate relationship with God, is having a crisis of faith. Do I really believe? Does following God really make a difference? Yeah, the Bible asks questions like that. And David here is observing things in his life. He's observing things out in the world and he can't reconcile it. He he can't make sense of it. As he looks in his own life, he says, hey, Lord, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to do what what you've called me to do. I'm trying to to be the person that you want me to be. And and honestly, Lord, things aren't working out real good right now. I feel like I'm taking it on the chin day in and day out. The world is kind of beating me up and wearing me out. Now that right there is hard enough to deal with. You know, because we have this expectation that, that if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, then, then God should be doing what He's supposed to do. But then to make matters worse, David says, then I look outside and, and I look at the wicked. I look at all these people who could care less about you, who aren't seeking to follow you at all. And Lord, the best I can tell, it looks like life is working out just fine for them. I mean, they're, they're happy, they're, they're prospering, they're healthy. So, so here I am trying to do what you want, and I'm, I'm getting the tar beat out of me, and, and these people over here don't care about you at all, and they seem to be doing fine. Hey God, if, if you're asking, I think this stinks. This doesn't seem to be working out at all. And he asks the question, is there any benefit? Is there any profit in following you at all? And he's at a crisis of faith. And then he says there, and I just read five verses. It's a long psalm. And this entire psalm is is David trying to, to reconcile this issue. But he says he's at this crisis until he entered the sanctuary. And he remembered their destiny. He remembered the future. Folks, God is just. God is just and justice is always going to be done. Galatians chapter six, verse seven says, do not be deceived. Don't don't be deceived in your own life because you seem to be getting away with sin. Don't be deceived in your own life that you can sin and there doesn't appear for the moment to be any consequences. Don't be deceived as you look out there in the world and you see people wholly committed to a sinful life and it seems like it's working out pretty good for them. Don't be deceived because God's not going to be mocked. If a man sows it, he's going to reap it. The day will come. God is just. He always does what is right. He always does what is fair. The righteous are going to be rewarded. The wicked are going to be punished. The wicked are going to be judged. That's the truth of Scripture. 
That's the message of Scripture. Many of us in here, what, what I just said, that's not news to you. You've heard that. You believe it and you know it. But can't we, just like David, kind of go through a crisis of faith as we're looking out there in the world and it doesn't always look like it. It, it doesn't always look like righteousness pays off. It doesn't always look like unrighteousness doesn't pay off. It doesn't always look like that until we stop and remember what David did. David's motivation to keep going, to hold on to the truth, is the future. Now, for David here, that idea of God's justice out there in the future is kind of a vague idea. You know, he's holding on to this vague idea way out there in the future. But you and I come into the New Testament and, and we see the word that God delivered to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. And all of a sudden, that way out there in the future idea becomes very clear and present. You read Psalm 73, that idea for David is that a day will come where terror, that's the word the Bible uses, terror will sweep away the sinner. Just a general thought. But we come into Revelation and for 13 chapters, chapters 6 to 18, it is detail by detail, blow by blow of what that terror looks like. Today we come to answer the question, what is the great tribulation? This is a part of answering the question, what is the end? We started last week by looking at what is the rapture, today the tribulation. Next week we come to a pretty intriguing topic on the Antichrist and that number 666. We'll be looking at that next week. But today the tribulation, what is the tribulation? Now folks, without just summing it up with the word, it's awful I want to look at another question first because what we're getting ready to see is really bad. And when we're right in the middle of seeing all that is going to be happening to this planet, we need first to know why. Why is there a tribulation? Well, part of it is what we've just got finished discussing. Part of it goes back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. God's going to punish the wickedness of man. God is going to punish the sin of this world. Folks, here's a principle to live by. Just a little thing to tuck away in the back of your head. This goes back to, to Paul telling us in Galatians, don't be deceived. Nobody's getting away with sin. Nobody, including you, including me, is getting away with sin. We think we are sometimes. We anticipate, we hope that God didn't see, God didn't notice. This is small enough that he probably doesn't care. Small enough. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? A sin so small, God doesn't really see or doesn't care. Does Scripture talk to us about a sin like that? Actually, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, just by way of a little illustration, He says that one day you and I are going to have to give an account for every careless word. That's a pretty small sin, isn't it? I might knew a little detail. Maybe God didn't even hear. No, that's not what Jesus said. He said you're going to have to give an account for every word. Are you ready to do that? Are you, are you ready to speak to and give an account before God for every word you muttered underneath your breath? For every word said in, in the darkness over here just to that one person? Are you ready to give an account to every one of those things? That, that should kind of scare us, shouldn't it? It should scare us to the cross. Because we're going to have to account for every sin. Nobody is getting away with a single sin. Sin. Now, we do have a choice in this world. 
I can sit here today and say, oh my gosh, there's no way I can give an account for every single word. There's no way I can give an account that I can pay for every single sin. And you know what? God has provided you an opportunity to not have to pay for that sin. You and I can step under, think of the cross almost like an umbrella. I have a chance to step under the umbrella of Jesus Christ. The, the, the umbrella of His protection. Because folks, God's wrath is going to be poured out on sin. Every single sin, every single time, every single person. Not one gets forgotten. That wrath is coming. And in a moment when we look at the wrath that is going to be poured out on this planet, remember folks, that same wrath was poured out at the cross. Remember some of us, gosh, it's been what, four or five years ago now, we watched that movie, The Passion. And for a lot of us, what we've read in Scripture for our entire lives, all of a sudden became very graphic and became very real in that movie. And we saw how horrible, how awful it was what happened to Jesus. Folks, it looked like that because that's what the wrath of God looks like. That's what sin costs. Now, you and I have the choice, say, you know what? I can't pay for that sin. I can't answer for all that sin. I can't do anything about it, but I'm going to place my faith in Christ. I'm going to place myself under him so that when that wrath is poured out. Think about this. It's the back of Jesus that catches that wrath. It's his work on the cross that catches all that wrath. Now, I can also choose to do something else. I can choose to say, I don't need Christ. I'm a pretty good person I, I go to church i pick the right religion i pick the right church I, I do my best i try to obey the golden rule or maybe maybe i say you know religions for weak people bring it on i i can handle whatever's coming in the future and you'll be left to pay for your sin possibly in the great tri uh, great tribulation but absolutely for sure in hell folks you can't pay it you cannot pay it the great tribulation is the place. Now think about all the evil you've seen done in life. That you've been a part of, that you've done, or that was done to you. The great tribulation is where the God of justice looks at a sinful world, sinful man, looks at Satan and satanic influence, and in the great tribulation, God says, it stops right here. No more. That's why there's a great tribulation. Second reason there's a great tribulation. Folks, there's a number of reasons. I'm just giving you kind of some, some overarching ideas. Is one is to break the pride of man. You've heard me say this a lot. This is kind of a constant theme that runs in my, my preaching. And folks, when we sin, we're proclaiming to be God. When I sin, I'm telling God, I don't need your way. I can do my own way. What I think I need to do here is lie. What I think I need to do here is cheat. I need to steal. I need to get revenge. I need to be greedy. I need to be lustful. Life is all about me. I'll decide. I don't need you to decide. And so I, I reject his word. And I do it my way. Folks, in every single sin, you're telling God, I'm God. Now, you can do that. question is, can you pay for it? Isaiah 42, verse 8 says, I am Yahweh. That's my name. I will not share my glory with another. You can take on that attitude. You can take on that life. But guess what? God's not sharing his deity with you. There's one God. You're not him. The great tribulation is where all of humanity proclaiming to be God ends. So that's, that's why there's a great tribulation. 
along, of course, with you remember last week when we talked about the rapture, the the time of tribulation is God's punishment and judgment on a Christ rejecting a Messiah rejecting Israel and his judgment on a Christ rejecting world. Now, what is the great tribulation? Jesus describes it like this in Matthew 24, 21. He says, for at that time, there will be a great tribulation, the kind that hasn't taken place since the beginning of the world until now and will never be seen again. So the time of the great tribulation is a very unique time. There has never been, there never will be again another time like it on this planet. It is very unique. It's God's wrath being poured out on sin and it's going to take place in wars and famines and disease and, and natural disasters. Now you say, well, now wait a minute. Wars, disease, natural... Now all that stuff has happened. Well, we've seen all that before. Well, but there's going to be a difference in the Great Tribulation. Two differences. One, it's going to be worldwide, not localized. Think about what we've seen in human history. Uh, in Europe... We saw the bubonic plague. One out of three people on the European continent died because of the bubonic plague. Can you imagine that in our nation today? A disease sweeps through and one out of three people die. But it was just on one of seven continents. It was localized, wasn't worldwide. We've seen in in history what we call two great world wars. The the world was at war. And and you look at the the nations involved in that, and certainly the great nations of the world were at war. But it was not really a world war. The whole world was not involved in that war. As a matter of fact, I would dare say there was people on the planet who didn't even know a war was going on. It was localized. Well, we've seen here recently a couple more of these tsunamis and and we've seen hundreds and thousands of of people die. Of course, I think a lot of us remember back at Christmas of 2004, there was that tsunami that killed over a couple hundred thousand people in one event. That didn't touch everybody on the planet, did it? People didn't even know that something happened that day. Folks, the great, Great Tribulation is all of those things, but here's the difference. It's all of those things touching every single person on the planet. Everybody, everywhere will be feeling this every single moment of the Great Tribulation. So it's worldwide. It's not localized. Second thing that makes it different is men will lose all hope. Now, there, you know, there, That can happen today, can't it? People can lose all hope. They can lose all hope that anything can be fixed, that, that anything can be made better. But for the most part, as you look throughout humanity, that's isolated. Even in places where people are struggling, they still anticipate, they still look forward to tomorrow, and they hope tomorrow is going to bring a change. The the time of the great tribulation described in Revelation is nobody is looking forward to tomorrow. Nobody believes tomorrow will fix anything. So that's the big difference. Now you hear all this, it starts getting overwhelming, doesn't you think? Man, what, what, what's going to be going on? What's going to be happening? Well, folks, the Great Tribulation could maybe be summed up by, by simply saying this. The Great Tribulation is, is the unveiling, the unsealing of the seal judgments. In the beginning of, of Revelation, Jesus is handed a scroll, and on that scroll are seven seals. And Jesus is going to begin to peel back. He's going to begin to open these seals. And with each of these seals, it unleashes a judgment on this earth. 
And when you get to the seventh seal, wow, would you believe it just means there's seven more? You open up that seventh seal and you find there are now seven trumpet judgments. And a trumpet is blown and with each blow of the trumpet, another judgment comes on this planet. And when you get to the seventh trumpet, guess what? Seven more. And those are called the bowl judgments. So if you do the math on that, it sounds like 21. It's actually 19. 19 different judgments that are going to hit this planet, devastate this planet. It's going to be the outpouring of God's wrath on this planet. Let's look at these real quickly. Uh, folks, you know, we could spend probably a sermon on, on the seals, a sermon on the trumpets, a seal on the on the bowls. So what I'm going to show you, we're just going to get a quick idea, a lot more explanation could go into this. But I just want you to see real quickly what they are. Look at the seven the seven seal judgments. This is what's beginning. Now, if you'll notice, first, second, third, and fourth all have the word horse in it. Have you heard the phrase, the four horsemen of the apocalypse? That's what this is a reference to. The first four judgments are these four horses of the apocalypse. They will come into the world and you can see there's a, a loss of freedom, a loss of peace, a loss of well-being, a loss of life. Now, remember, when you hear each one of those things, don't think for certain people. Don't think in certain places it's worldwide. It touches everybody. You see that fourth one, it says loss of life. I should have put this up there. It's actually one fourth. One fourth of humanity will lose their life in this one judgment. Now, let's do real quickly the math on this. Now, this is just totally guessing. OK, but there's roughly what? Six billion people on the planet today. Now, I don't I don't know how many genuine, true followers of Christ there are. But let's say let's say there's a billion. Let's say one out of six people on the planet is a genuine follower of Christ. Then, as I showed last week, I believe that the church will not go through what we're discussing here. It will not go through the tribulation. We'll be raptured up. We'll be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. So one billion people in the blink of an eye are gone. Now that right there is going to cause chaos in the world, isn't it? Okay, so one out of six are gone. So we enter the tribulation, rough numbers, with five billion people. Now, people are going to die all through the tribulation. They're going to die through all of these different judgments. In this one judgment, though, one-fourth of humanity. So let's say when we get to the four horsemen, five billion people on the planet, that means in the blink of an eye, 1.25 billion people die. Can you imagine what will be going on in this world when we have to bury 1.25 billion people tomorrow? you imagine what that would be like? That's what's going to happen in that judgment. Then we go on to the fifth seal. This one sounds a little bit odd. It's the death of tribulation saints. Now, remember, if the church was raptured up at the beginning of the tribulation, then technically speaking, on day one of the tribulation, there's no believers. But throughout the tribulation, people will come to faith in Christ. And that's what the reference a tribulational saint is. These are people who become believers. We're going to talk about some of them in a moment. And they'll, they'll, they'll serve a ministry. They'll serve a witness on this earth for a very short period of time. And then God will bring them home. And he will bring them home by allowing the Antichrist to kill them. And by killing them, it becomes more of a sign of God's judgment. They're rejecting the light. They're rejecting the witness. They're rejecting the answer for their sins. They killed the people who had the answer. And so this will become a further sign of their guilt. Then we get to the, univer the, the universal, the sixth seal. And, and the, the main thing I'm saying there, folks, you see that second sentence. Devastation is the character of life. You ever seen a devastating moment? You ever seen a devastating event on on the news? 
Folks, the character of these seven years is destruction every single moment. That's all people are experiencing. That's all they're seeing. That is all they are living. Then we get to the seventh seal. And remember, you think, oh my gosh, we're almost done. No, it just brings seven more judgments called the trumpet judgments. In these judgments, you see there, just put little simple statements. The first trumpet blows, we lose one third of the vegetation, trees, plants, fruit bearing, vegetable bearing. We lose one third of that. In that judgment, one third of the salt water, one third of the fresh water. Don't know fully what that means. Don't know if that means we lose one third of the marine life, which, of course, is a, a source of of what we eat. Do we lose one third of the marine life? Does one third of the waters on the planet become poisonous, destroyed, un, unusable? Maybe the shipping lanes are, are destroyed in some way. Whatever that means, we're losing one third of it in a single event. The fourth trumpet blows. It's the darkening of the heavenly bodies. Uh, You see a lot of this in in the environment uh, is what these first four are hitting. Then we come to the fifth trumpet. And this boy, this is a nasty thing here. There is a group of demons that have been bound since the falling of angels. You remember that sermon back in, what was that, July? We talked about angels. They get let loose here. And and they come out and, and they've got tails like scorpions. And they will sting and they will bring intense pain, but it doesn't kill you. Intense pain, ongoing, but it doesn't kill you. The sixth trumpet, one third of the human race is killed. Now think about that. We had five billion. We had an event that killed 1.25. That brings us down to 3.75 billion. Now again, people have been dying all along the way, but let's just stay with 3.75 for easy math. Now we lose a third, one third of 3.75 is another 1.25 billion people. So in the space of about two, two, three years, just between these two judgments, 2.5 billion people have been killed. That's what's happening on this planet. Then we come to the seventh trumpet. Oh my gosh, there's seven more. And these are called the, the bold judgments. Painful sores cover people's bodies. Uh, total destruction of all salt water, total destruction of fresh water. The ozone is destroyed and men are scorched. There's darkness and pain. The sixth bowl sets up Armageddon and the seventh bowl is the unleashing of Armageddon, the total destruction of this planet. I'm going to talk about Armageddon just in a second. Now, that's pretty rough, isn't it? You know, it's not really that bad right now, is it? (laughs) And man, I tell you what, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket. It's awful out here. No, folks, that's, that's what's awful. That's what happens when the church gets removed. When the Holy Spirit is removed. When this world rejects the witness, then this tribulation, this punishment is poured out on this world. This is the total outpouring of God's wrath against sin. Now, I've shown you a little bit of why. I've shown you, and folks, the operative word here is little. A little bit of why, a little bit of what. Let me walk you through real quickly just a little bit of the storyline. You're probably familiar with, we're going to go into more detail next week, with a character that is referred to as the Antichrist. Now, when the church is raptured up, shortly following that, the next day, the next week, the next month, obviously with with one out of six people disappearing from the planet, uh, all of these events going on, I I don't know what all will happen, but some forces are going to move into place and up through that's going to rise a world leader. And that world leader is is who the Scripture introduces as the Antichrist. And, And the way we will begin to be able to identify him is a couple of things are going to happen in a row. The first thing, he's going to sign a covenant 
with Israel. He's going to bring peace to Israel. And apparently through this covenant and through this world leader's leadership, there's going to be such a sense of security that, that Israel is going to rebuild their temple. Now, if you just kind of think through, if that were to happen in our day, apparently what this world leader is going to be able to do is stop the terrorists. He's going to be able to stop the Muslims because there is no way Jerusalem is building a temple today. There is no way the Muslims are going to allow that to happen. So this world leader is going to be able to do something that, that holds them at bay, that keeps them at peace. Israel rebuilds her temple, begins to, to go through the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And then after three and a half years of that, the Antichrist is going to break his treaty with Israel. There's going to be a great earthquake in Jerusalem. There's 7,000 people are going to be killed in, in that event, in that, in that earthquake. And that's when we know for sure who the Antichrist is. Now, folks, we love to guess who the Antichrist is, don't we? We've done it all throughout history. Nero was the Antichrist. Hitler was the Antichrist. I don't know if some of y'all remember this. Uh, during the 80s, I remember guy proclaiming that Mikhail Gorbachev, this is the honest truth, Mikhail Gorbachev was the Antichrist. And you remember, some of you old enough, remember he had that birthmark on his head? If you held that up to ultraviolet light, you'd see 666 in that. You know how stupid that makes us look? Now, folks, this is my opinion. Only my opinion. I believe it is very, very irresponsible to use Scripture and say that person's the Antichrist. Because the fact is, the Scripture doesn't give us a single clue to the identity of this person until we are inside the tribulation. Now, if you hold to a pre-tribulational view that I taught last week that the church is going to be raptured, then that, folks, that means we're not going to be here to see him identified. There is no clue prior to that that gives us the ability to say that person is the Antichrist. We need to see him sign a treaty with Israel. Now, a number of leaders have done that. But we need to see the temple rebuilt. And folks, until you see a treaty signed, and let, let's say we don't get raptured up. Let, let's say one of those other views, the mid-tribulational or the post-tribulation, that we're going to go all the way through the tribulation with this world. Even if you hold to that view, until you see a man sign a treaty, until you see Israel rebuild the temple, and until you see that treaty broken and an earthquake that kills 7,000 people, you do not know that you're looking at the Antichrist, so don't say that's him. There's a lot of people who are anti-Christ, little a. First John 2 talks about people who use their lives, use their leadership and their influence to lead people away from God, to lead people against God. There are little a antichrists. But the antichrist, I believe it's irresponsible to use Scripture to say that person is the antichrist. Because unless you're in the tribulation, you don't have any clues to be able to say that. Nothing to identify. Now, this Antichrist is going to be an incredibly powerful figure. He is going to have people oppose him. You've probably heard of the 144,000. Now, folks, the tribulation is about the judgment of Israel for rejecting their Messiah the first time that he came. But during this time, while it's a judgment against them, many Jews are going to come to faith in Christ. Much of Israel is going to accept their Messiah. And a portion of those people are going to be specially anointed, specially gifted to carry the gospel into the world. 144,000 of them. 12,000 Jews from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And they're going to go out carrying the gospel, giving a witness to people. And they'll do that for a period of time. And at the end of that time, when their work is done, God will bring them home. He's going to do that by allowing the Antichrist to kill them. But for a period, he won't be able to touch them. There's two other people that are going to oppose them. Now, these, these two dudes are pretty cool. They're pretty awesome. They have a ministry much like Moses and Elijah. And, and here you've got two people. Now, now, who can't take care of two people? You know, just get a big gun. How hard is that? But nobody can touch them. Nobody can touch these two guys. Nobody can stop them. The Antichrist and his armies can do nothing to stop these two men who are just simply referred to in Revelation as the two witnesses. They can call fire down from heaven. They can keep it from raining. They bring plagues on the earth. Remember, their judgments will cause a lot of loss of life. uh, uh, Separate from what we already saw in all those judgments. So you have these two witnesses that will be bringing these judgments that will be calling the world world to repentance now their ministry will end and God will allow the antichrist to kill them and this is the only time in the seven year period wherever there is a mention of joy and happiness the world will rejoice because these two guys have wreaked such havoc on the planet it is literally going to be like a worldwide holiday when finally they're killed The Antichrist, seeing what a joy it is to the planet that these two guys are dead, leaves them laying in the street. Leaves them laying dead right where they were killed. And says the world will come just to look at them. And then after three and a half days of laying dead in the street, they're going to be resurrected in front of an entire watching world. And they're going to ascend up into heaven. Now if you think about in John's day, first century, how does the whole world see an entire event? That'd be kind of hard back then, but of course we know this isn't happening in the first century. In our day, it's very easy to imagine how that would happen. If these two guys laying dead is a world event that everybody's rejoicing in, then guess who's going to be there? Fox News, CNN, all the major networks, they're going to be out there, they're going to be interviewing. Well, Mr. Smith, I see you brought your family here to see the the two dead guys. Tell me, what kind of experience has it been for you? And they're going to be out there interviewing people, they're going to be filming this event, and with the entire world watching, these two guys are going to stand up and they're going to ascend into heaven. Now think about that for a moment, because you know what? How many people have you heard say, and maybe you've heard your own voice say this, but you you know what? If God did the kind of miracles today that he did back there in the Old Testament, you know, parting of seas and raising dead people. And I mean, if he did those kinds of miracles, it'd be a lot easier to believe. I could believe if he did those kinds of miracles. No, you wouldn't. Miracles have never led anybody to faith. Miracles are evidence for people of faith, but miracles have never changed anybody. Because when the world sees this and these two guys say, here is the answer, and they call them to repentance. And you know what Revelation says? The unbelieving, I don't even know if unbelieving is the right word. The sinners, they know it's God. And they won't repent. Folks, we can become so dedicated to sin that our heart becomes so hardened that even when we see the way out, we don't take it. Miracles are not going to change us. They didn't change people in the Old Testament days. They're not going to change people in the future. It's just a simple act of faith when you realize I can't pay for my sin. And I step under that umbrella of Christ's protection. He's my savior. He's the one who's going to say the wrath is coming. 
Yeah, how many times have you heard that word Savior? Or you've heard that idea of being saved? Saved from what? This outpouring of God's wrath coming against a world that has rejected him, spit on him, and killed his son. The wrath is coming. I can be saved from that by my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the Antichrist is going to have a couple of people uh, on his team. We're going to be looking at that again a little bit more next week. One of the individuals that's going to be serving and helping him is called the, the Beast of the Earth. As a matter of fact, if you want to do some reading this week, check out Revelation chapter 13. It talks about the Beast of the Sea, that's the Antichrist, and the Beast of the Earth, that's his false prophet. You know, folks, one of the proofs, I don't think you'll read this anywhere, but for me it kind of works. One of the proofs of the Trinity is Satan. Because Satan is always trying to counterfeit God. Satan is always trying. Satan is the most uncreative person on the, in the world. He just copies. And so Satan sees the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And guess what he creates? There's Satan, there's the Antichrist, and there's the false prophet. Now the Holy Spirit is co-equal to God, co-eternal to God, has all the powers and glory of God. But you know what the Holy Spirit uses his powers and glory to do? Point everybody to Jesus. Guess what the false prophet does? He has all the powers of the Antichrist. He can do everything that the two witnesses did. That's part of what is going to attract the world. But he uses all of his powers to point people to the Antichrist. Just like the Holy Spirit does in pointing people to Jesus. That the false prophet, the beast of the, the earth, is the one who's going to force people to take that number 666. Now, a little clue on 666, because we hear a lot of things about that today and what could be 666, you know, with today's technology, you know, maybe one day we'll get a, we'll get a chip underneath our skin and it'll have our driver's license and our bank account and our health records. We'll just always have everything we need right there just to, to be scanned. Now, I don't know if something like that's coming or not, but I know if it does, Christians will go nuts. Ah, there it is. There's the mark of the beast. Because we kind of act crazy in front of the world sometimes, don't we? Now, folks, whatever the mark of the beast is going to be, let, let me clear up this one thing. You're not going to get it by accident. You're, you're not going to get it and not know it was the mark. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. <laughs> ah! it, it, it. That's not what it is. People who take the mark of the beast are doing it for the es express purpose of declaring their loyalty to the Antichrist. So if we get some kind of mark or some kind, and I'm, by the way, I'm not saying go out and get a chip if it comes out, hurry right away. I, I'm just saying if something like that ever come and you took advantage of using something like that, that's not the mark of the beast. That might be something that the Antichrist uses. He might use that kind of technology. But you're not going to have gotten it by accident. You're not going to have gotten it not knowing what it was going to be used for. You get it to say, I belong to the Antichrist. The same way that you and I go through the waters of baptism to say, that's what's marked me. Those waters have marked me. I belong to Jesus Christ. So you don't have to worry about fearing that. Now this whole thing is going to come to a head at what we call Armageddon. There is, just because there's unbelievers on the planet doesn't mean they're all supporting the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to be the head of mostly European states and there's going to be an army from the Orient that is going to march against the Antichrist. It's a massive army, the largest army that will ever be assembled on this planet. 
And they will march across the earth to meet the armies of the Antichrist at Armageddon, just right there at Palestine. And as these two great forces begin to engage in battle, the most incredible moment in human history is going to happen. The sky is going to open up and Jesus is going to step through in what we call the second coming. And you remember we talked about last week, Christ coming for the saints. He comes for the saints. He doesn't come all the way to the earth. First Thessalonians 4 says the saints rise up. We're caught up together to meet him in the air. And while all this stuff is going on, this tribulation is going on, we're up at the great wedding feast with our with our groom, Jesus Christ, and we're getting our rewards. And then the second coming, there's Christ coming for the saints. The second coming is Christ coming with the saints. And when that sky opens up, Christ will step through and he'll have all of his armies with him. The armies of angels, the armies of you and I coming back to this planet. It's the most incredible battle that's ever been. Now, if you're not a battle person, we got a lot of army personnel in here. You know, sometimes I, 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 I don't want to go into battle. You know, some of we didn't prepare for that. Good news, you're not going to have to worry about anything. It's going to be a real short battle. We don't lose anybody, not one person. The enemy is complete and total carnage. Greatest chapter in the Bible, obviously a personal opinion. Greatest chapter in the Bible, Revelation chapter 19. The most incredible event in human history. And that's where all the evil stops. And justice is done. And folks, think about all the places in life where you, in your opinion, in your way of seeing things, God didn't show up. God didn't do what he was supposed to do. Evil is winning. Evil is getting away. Do you know when we come to Revelation 19, do you know what the entire world praises Jesus for? You are just. That's the first way we praise God. When we finally see how everything gets dealt out, there's not one place we go, but, 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 but that over there, you didn't fix that. That, that, that wasn't fair. You don't have an answer for that. No, we're going, oh my gosh. How just. How perfect. Now folks, I've been talking for 40 minutes and all I've given you is just a little bit of why, a little bit of what, a little bit of the storyline. So much more there to understand and to study. But the question becomes, now what do I do with all this? You know, I only see two things that that I, I, it's not that I only see two things. There's at least two things. I can't imagine learning this information and not walking away knowing these two things need to happen. One, for believers, man, I need to give thanks that I don't have to receive this wrath. Because, folks, the people that are going to go through the tribulation, they're no more guilty than you. Their, Their sin's no worse than your sin. They don't have something about them that makes them much worse than you. And you don't have something about you that makes you so much better than them. The only thing different than you and me is we said, you know what? I can't handle the wrath of God. I'm going to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to crawl under this umbrella. And I'm going to live the rest of my life right in step with Jesus. I'm putting all my faith there. So I'm very grateful as I see what is coming. Remember what David said? I couldn't put all this together until I remembered what's coming. Until I remembered the future. Folks, it's going to happen. It's going to happen just like it reads. And you've either placed yourself under Christ or you've left yourself out here to receive the wrath of God all by yourself. 
Now, while believers need to give thanks, I would challenge anybody in this room, if you don't know that you've done that, what are you waiting for? You know what the Bible says over and over and over? It says today, not tomorrow, not next week, not a year from now, not once you take a class, not once you learn something, not once you go out and try to on your own clean up your life. It says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to step under that umbrella of God's protection. Have you? The second thing I see learning this is, man, align yourself with a winner. Who says, I'd like to sign up for a team I'm pretty guaranteed is going to lose. I'd like to put all my money. I'm not even going to make a redskin joke this week. I'm not, even, not, not going to go there. Not going to do that. Uh, folks, no what, why, why would we sign up for something we know is going to fail? Folks, do you realize with every little sin, you're kind of making an investment in a team that's going to lose, aren't you? In every relationship that you're a part of that is more built around the things of the world and the things of man instead of the things of God, in every one of those, you're saying, this is a relationship I'm dedicating to an absolutely, totally losing cause. Why would we do that? We know where it's all going to end up. We know where it's all going. Man, folks, wake up. Let's do the math on this. Align your life with a winner. Align your life with God's people, the church. Show that you belong to that by going through those waters of baptism. Make the choice not for 666, but the choice that marks you in Christ. Baptism. Make the choice to be a part of God's family. And then live a life day in and day out with activities of people that belong in God's family. That's the activities that are going to win. That's the activities that are going to be rewarded. God promises. You say, boy, I look out there in the world and it sure doesn't seem like God says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. It's coming. It's coming. And because it's coming, the only appropriate way to end this service is to give people in here a chance to step under the umbrella of God's protection. To give people a chance to align themselves with Christ through the waters of baptism or to be a part of and join a church family. To join God's winner. And so our congregation is going to stand and they're going to sing. And as they do, if you want a relationship with Christ, you want to be baptized, you want to come into the life of the church, you just come forward. There will be pastors here to pray with you and to help you with that decision. As we stand and sing, you come.